0: Hey, y'all. Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Bison Coolers. 100% American-made coolers. They're built not only for the outdoorsman or woman, but also for the weekend warrior type. You know, maybe uh, college football tailgating is your thing, or you're taking the wife and kids camping for the weekend. Either way, Bison Coolers has you covered. They're family-owned and offer great customer service, and you can find their entire lineup of coolers, tumblers, bottles, and other Bison gear by visiting BisonCoolers.com. What's up next? A cop on my
1: ass. Slow down to a crawling speed. Pull me over for a tail light out. Late to work and I'm low on gas.
0: Another day, another. Good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Guthrie Canard, another day, another dollar, kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith, thanks to our presenting sponsors as well, Lone Star Beer, and our friends over at Hoff Power Polaris, thanks to you, the listener, for being here today. Uh, Whether you are tuning in on one of our 30 radio affiliates or if you're checking out the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or our website, doesn't matter to me as long as you're here. It is great to have you. And, man, there is still a lot to be doing in the great outdoors. I know the dog days of summer are finally here. Temperatures are back up into the 90s. Uh, it's getting hot. But there are still plenty of feral hogs that need killing, lots of exotics to hunt. Uh, flathead catfish are loading up in the bends of creeks and rivers. Uh, So whether you're noodling or using a rod and reel, uh, it's time to get on that river monster quest. Crappie are in their post-spawn haunts. Largemouth are back suspended, you know, in 20 feet of water on main lake points and river beds. Uh, So now's a good time to get out that big crankbait and get after those big girls because they've put the feed sack back on. There's no doubt about that. So lots to do. Uh, I'm going bow fishing this evening, uh, so I'm excited about that. So... Maybe, uh, maybe you want to fling some arrows at some carp or gar or whatever. Just get into the great outdoors, man. There's still a lot to be doing. Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today, uh, so you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire here. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos, because off the top, we're going to take an inside look at the exotic hunting industry uh, with longtime outfitter and guide Clay Pope of Pope Brothers Guide Service, uh, Clay has been in this game a long time. He's seen how exotic hunting has changed over the years, even uh, from the past few years where we've seen axis and black buck prices skyrocket. Uh, But things are starting to level out. Clay will tell us why he thinks uh, prices on some animals have gone up and uh, others have stayed the same. Plus, what is his favorite exotic to hunt, both free range uh, and behind a high fence? Because you know, we've got a ton of free range exotic hunting in Texas There's uh, quite a few species that have adapted and and, uh, do very well in different areas of Texas. Uh, Plus, uh, Clay will tell us which exotic species are the most destructive, which ones fight the hardest and are most likely to kill each other. I've seen fallow bucks get after it a couple times, and uh, that was a pretty intense scene. I'm not going to lie. So... Lots of cool stuff coming up on the exotic hunting front. It's uh, a half a billion dollar a year industry in Texas now. And other states are starting to catch up. I mean, they see what a viable industry and and hunting opportunity uh, exotic species provide. Uh, So why wouldn't they? It's fun. And you can huddle me around. Uh, Okay, then we will head up to the Red River and visit with our old pal Jacob Orr of Limitless Outdoor Adventures as uh, he spent his life on Lake Texoma. He's a longtime striper guide. And we'll find out what makes that fishery so special and why people from all over the United States continue to come down to Lake Texoma to chase striped bass. Uh, So all things striper coming at you here in a bit. Then we'll round out today's broadcast by uh, touching on something that is a very highly charged issue in our country. I imagine... Uh, it always will be I don't know and I'm not telling you whether it's right or wrong uh, that's up for you to decide and and really only God knows the answer uh, but I recently read an article penned by Luke Zesch, a 26 year old bow hunter from Wisconsin he grew up in a Christian home and a lifelong outdoorsman chasing white-tailed deer and roughed grouse with his dad uh, but in high school he realized he was different from other folks and he recently just came out to his family uh, that he's gay. And there was a time period in his life where he felt that he had to quit hunting and fishing because of his sexual orientation. And I feel that that is so unfortunate because hunting and fishing is, that's my life. I mean, my family and then hunting and fishing and God. Um, And so if someone told me I had to quit or I felt like I had to quit doing those things that really, I mean, that's where I find peace. I mean, that's my soul. It tells me to do those things every day. Even if I'm not doing it one day, it's calling me to do it. (laughs) Uh, So I feel for Luke. um, And I wanted to have him on to talk about homosexuals in hunting. Is it, I don't even know if it's very common. I imagine that it's not. So here's a guy that feels ostracized by his own friends and family and then likely ostracized by the gay community who, by and large, are pretty liberal and probably don't condone hunting to begin with. So an interesting situation, and we'll have Luke on to tell his story here at the bottom of the hour. Uh, So if that offends you, I apologize, but I think it's worth talking about, and so uh, hopefully uh, you'll give it a listen as well uh, that's what's on the docket for today a couple other things our july photo of the month contest is going on right now we're offering up an all seasons feeder barbecue pit and smoker uh, so send in your best hunting or fishing photo to lonestar outdoors show at gmail.com better yet post it on our facebook page wall or tag us with lsos photo contest on instagram our 12 monthly winners will then square off at the end of the year for our grand prize trophy hunt down at Coons Canyon Ranch, Axis Deer or Black Buck. That's what you'll be hunting with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch if you do indeed win our photo of the year contest. Uh, Let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a bison coolers cap and koozie, which we will give away to the third person to text in the word exotic because we're going to be talking exotics here momentarily. So text in the word exotic to 214-289-7807. And you could win the Bison Coolers cap and koozie. We'll throw in a Lone Star Outdoors Show sticker as well. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll dive headfirst into the exotic hunting industry right Kicking here. At Lone Star old, names
1: takes its toll on a worn out, busted, beat up soul like
0: mine. It's no secret the weather in North Texas is harsh and unforgiving, and that's why I need to tell you about tidal roofing. A fully insured roofing company serving DFW since 2003. Plus, one of the owners is a range listener himself. Title Roofing offers free estimates with a workmanship guarantee of seven years using only quality materials. They offer residential and commercial roofing, gutter and window installation and repair, painting, fencing, and are a general contractor. Check them out at titleroofing.com or call 972-455-8181 today. Hey y'all, cable here for three curl outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or Get after them with thermal imaging and night vision. Under the cover of darkness, 3Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields. Or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, 3Curl.com to book your next hog hunt.
1: Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gothwaite, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's, once again, the number one Polaris dealer in Texas.
2: Hot Texas nights
1: Under the Texas moon Women dressed up nice
0: Gable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoors show, brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Flaris as well. Cowboy Boots is the name of that one there from Dale Watson. A great tune there. Hope everyone is having a great day. I know I certainly am because I am doing what I love to do more than anything, and that is talk outdoors with y'all. So thanks for being here as uh, we've got a pretty interesting discussion to get into Concerning all things exotic hunting, you know, it has become over a half a billion dollar industry in Texas alone. Factor in that some other southern states are also really starting to scratch the surface of exotic hunting. Not to the tune of Texas, but um, they're getting their feet wet. So it's obviously huge business, and did I forget to mention, it's a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> and there's no closed season, so... um, You know, whether you're hunting free range or behind a high fence, uh, there are tons of exotic options, uh, specifically in the Lone Star State. And we'll be joined by outfitter, longtime outfitter, and our good friend Clay Pope of Pope Brothers Guide Service and Outfitting here momentarily. But before we do that, this segment of the show brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. We'd love to have you get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and, of course, conservation. For more information, check us out at biggame.org. We'd love to have you. Uh, Okay, well, let's go ahead and bring on our first guest here. Joining us now, it is Pope Brothers Guide Service and Outfitters owner, Clay Pope. Thanks for being here, brother. Good to hear from you, Cable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk a lot of hunting today, kind of cover a wide variety of species, um, that Pope Brothers chases routinely. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself as far as where you were born and raised and uh, and how long you've been in the outfitting business.
3: Uh, I was born in uh, New Braunfels, Texas, and briefly as a kid, uh, we lived in the woodlands, moved back to uh, Blanco, Texas whenever I was around eight years old. And pretty much grew up there. Um, one of my best friend's dad, he, uh, he managed ranches and that, you know, was always something that I would like to, you know, would like to do, uh-huh. um, you know, and I started doing that out of high school and right away started getting into the hunting into things. And I don't, I was already a really big predator hunter. Uh, traveling all over the state of Texas, predator hunting personally,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and so I, so I started, uh, you know, started my outfitting business kind of based around predator hunting uh, in the beginning, and you know I'm 42 now, and that was over 20 years ago, so yeah, been doing it for a long time. <laughs>
0: yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask you. My next question was going to be what species were you chasing when you when you started out, you know, primarily? And so you said predators. So obviously that changed as you got into this business and and started to uh you know, expand your operation. Um so about how many different species would you say you hunt, Clay?
3: Pretty much everything that in Texas that you can hunt. I I do a little bit of uh of uh, duck and goose hunting and a few quail hunts every year but every exotic every native every other native species you know you're up around 80 80 species maybe more yeah um uh, that we offer hunts for
0: yeah yeah and, and you know more exotic species seem like they show up in texas just about every year um like i was hunting at the uh what was it this i think it was the star s ranch i was hunting Gemsbuck down there a couple of years ago and they're like, well, let's go. You want to take a drive? And we got this, this bongo. It's native to the deepest, darkest regions of Cameroon, the jungle, thick stuff. And I, they're like, well, you'll never see one during the day. They're 100% nocturnal. So we can maybe go drive around their, the pasture and see if we could see one. That was a pretty cool animal and a, a cool experience just to see that animal thriving on the Texas landscape. And I know you've, you've probably, you probably deal with bongo on a, on a regular basis um what are some of the other obscure species that have shown up here in recent years
3: well we do a lot of both high fence and free range and and it seems like more and more animals are 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 free range and i'm certain sure you see it uh, up here hunting i mean we do a ton of access both high fence and free range and along with the black buck and most of the you know, most of the common exotic species, you know, we offer them both ways, whether it's high fence or free range, mm-hmm. um, you know, your, you know, your basics, your axis, your black buck, your psycha, you know, some fallow, scimitar, audad, you know, a lot of that stuff, you know, there's a ton of, a uh, ton of species here from, from bongo to, you know, you name it, but, you know, we pretty much, we pretty much offer it, so,
0: yeah. Some of the more obscure Ibex species, I noticed, uh, are becoming more and more popular as well.
3: Correct. I mean, we've we've shot a lot of Nubian. Uh, we've shot a lot of Nubian Ibex in the last year. Uh, some some really nice Persian Ibex in the last year. Uh, some Transcaspian Uriel. Uh, Afghan Uriel. Uh, hmm. You know, so we hunt a lot of you know, we hunt a lot of different species, and a lot of what we hunt is of very high uh, trophy quality, whether it's for trophy game records or SCI, a lot of our animals are going to be the very best of the best.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, now, out of all of the more common, let's just say deer-like, or let's say the species that have antlers, so um, both native and exotic... Which ones are the biggest troublemakers from an inconvenience standpoint, Meaning they tear up feeders, They run other species off of feeders or food plots, uh, and then maybe they tear up fences. I don't know which ones are which ones are a big headache?
3: Probably your biggest headache are your bigger species and and not necessarily your antelope species that you know your antelope species might be towards each other. You know, fighting each other you might have some trouble there mm-hmm. but like elk red stag are terrible on fence and especially feeders um all that can be a little rough on feeders too sometimes um but mainly your elk and your red stag are are you know are your troublemakers when it comes to
2: uh-huh.
3: comes to the exotics a lot of your bigger Antelope species like your kudu or your gemsbok or you know things like that, you know they they kind of keep to themselves and do their own thing and you really don't have that much problems with them.
0: Right, or the problem might just be trying to find them. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, we on that hunt I was telling you about down there in in Mason we hunted uh gimsbuck It was a four thousand acre pasture, so huge pasture, and we hunted for three days and saw plenty of gimsbuck but never saw a bull until the last day. So. just goes to show you there's tons of them in there but just because it's high fence doesn't mean it's a a slam dunk it's far you know a lot of times i think the animals in the fence are more skittish than the ones out of it
3: i i think so too i mean in in hunting you know an axis deer is a very skittish animal i mean a lot of people have hunted on are they're not an easy animal to hunt but i honestly think that sometimes the the free range animals are probably a little bit easier to hunt than the ones that are actually in the high fence.
0: oh yeah kind
3: of, kind of strange
0: uh-huh uh, yeah, axis tear are very very wary i mean they cannot tell you how many times i've been sitting out on an axis hunt and you just have whitetail coming in in droves and droves and you know there's as many you know because they do helicopter surveys on most of these places so they know how many animals are out there and when they've got just as many axis and but you're not seeing them uh, you know that something's not right so right. they they seem to be a little smarter that's for sure which of the exotic species are the biggest fighters and and i've seen personally um fallow deer uh get pretty rough with each other trying to kill each other through a through a fence uh so i know they're bad but uh what about the other antlered species
3: you know all of them will fight you know whenever they're in rut you know they'll oh, sure. put on a good fight but but for sure, you know sometimes them Saika and, and and the fallow deer, I mean they can they can really get after it. But if you've ever watched a couple of big axis bucks get after it too, you you know they're even big elk getting after it. You know it's a it's a wonder that more of them don't get uh, don't kill each other.
0: Uh-huh.
3: Um, you know they can be pretty rough and and rowdy for sure.
0: Absolutely. Well, yeah, and we're in the i mean we're basically in the axis rut right now aren't we correct so now's a good time to get out there and and hunt axis deer see we went in first week of june and so it was just a little early for the we didn't see any rutting activity but i'm sure they're getting fired up now what how long does their rut typically last
3: you know they i've seen them in rut kind of all year but the biggest the biggest rut is from now into september now i mean they're full blast, going crazy, uh, rutting
0: right mm-hmm. now. Well, And let's talk about uh, the axis deer, because it's kind of an interesting life cycle as far as how they've adapted to the Texas landscape. And I imagine back home, they're from India. I imagine in their native India, they have a specific set breeding season. But here it seems like, you know, because you could see hard and velvet rack bucks basically year round, which means they're not breeding at the same time you know one doe's breeding at x time another one's breeding 6 months later so that's kind of uh, that's different from a lot of uh, that's different from basically all the other species that I know of
3: correct they're they're one of the only species in the world that is like that i've hunted them here i've hunted them in, in australia as well and it you know their cycle over there is a little bit different mhm um like I was saying before, their biggest cycle is through the summer, but you can have hard antler, velvet, shed ant, just shed, you know, pretty much any time of the year. And But generally speaking, the biggest majority of your bucks are going to be in hard antler from about right now, you know, through about the beginning of whitetail season.
0: Uh-huh. What would you say is your favorite exotic species to hunt, and why? Oh, uh, that's a hard one.
3: Uh, I really like uh, all that hunting in West Texas. Um, it's uh, it's challenging. I like that spot and stalk. Uh, you know, kind of that sheep hunting mm-hmm. mentality. You know, I kind of like that hunt personally. It's a it's a good, challenging, fun hunt. But I mean, any of it. You know, I like all of it. I you know I'll, I'll i'll be real honest with you i mean I've, I've hunted whitetail so much you know whitetail hunting just doesn't do it for me anymore i really like the exotic hunting and Axis and all and neil guy you know I, I love any three of them um they're great but if if i had to choose one it would definitely be the all i i like chasing big all in and west Coast.
0: yeah yeah uh, that's definitely a lot of time behind the glass i did one uh in bandera I uh, know that's not west texas but there's some there's some big bluffs and cliffs up in that country and um they have a good population of free range i think maybe the world record actually came out of that that area uh, and i hunt
3: that. i hunt some free range country all through there too kind of that lakey on mm-hmm. utopia bandera and then right here around junction where we're where we're located you know i do hunt on free range here too yeah the only bad thing about this country is that it, that the hills have a little more vegetation on oh, it. Oh
0: yeah.
3: And and it makes it a little bit different hunting, a little bit harder hunting. So I mean sometimes feeders are a little bit better in this area and you know kind of hope for you know it not to be so green in the hills, you know, mm-hmm. if they have plenty to eat, it's a little bit tougher to find them for sure in this area.
0: Well, yeah, and on my hunt, we finally got it done on the last day of a four day hunt. It always seems to come down to the last day for me, doesn't it? But, uh, you know, it just kind of doesn't make your binos worthless in that country, but uh, relatively (laughs) ineffective, we'll put it that way. Uh, Clay, let's take a break here. We need to uh, take care of some sponsors, then come back and take on some other issues, maybe uh, rhino conservation, uh, but definitely how the exotic industry has fluctuated from a price standpoint, and I'm sure you can shed some insight as to whether or not that's all driven by oil. So uh, can you stick around? All right. Perfect. Well, we will continue our visit with Clay here momentarily. That segment brought to you by Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and Horizon Firearms, located in College Station, Texas. Horizon will customize your rifle to the specifications that you want. In whatever caliber you choose, uh, my Horizon is a 7 mag. Absolutely love that caliber. But hey, the 6.5 Creedmoor or the 28 Nosler are popular builds right now as well. Go to their website, HorizonFirearms.com, to start building your dream rifle today. Uh, y'all don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more from our good friend Clay Pope from Pope Brothers Outfitters and Guide Service right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. (coughs) need a new car or truck or your current vehicle worked on then stop by my buddy justin shop in garland accelerate auto group does everything from oil changes to engine swaps scratch paint to custom car and truck builds they do it all sales and consignment on everything from cheap commuter cars to investment grade classics and exotics also all you outdoorsmen out there check out the kevlar coating for your truck Always looking for good vehicles to buy as well. Call 469 300 9669 or visit accelerateautogroup.com today.
1: Like red wine and tequila, we're a bad combination. All we
3: feel together is a sick of frustration. I got some rough edges,
0: and you're smooth and refined. Red wine and tequila. Such a bad combination. Little Owen Temple bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. So great to be here with you guys and gals. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks to our presenting sponsors as well Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Uh, we are going to continue our exotic discussion with longtime outfitter Clay Pope of Pope Brothers Guide Service. But before we do that, this segment of the program is proudly brought to you by the Stillwaters Ranch in Llano, Texas. If you're looking to book that big trophy whitetail hunt for this coming fall, contact my buddy Clayton Leverett. He will put you on a monster, and you'll be hunting on his family property that has been in the Leverett family since 1882. A lot of family history there, cool place, Llano, Texas, absolutely beautiful part of the Texas Hill Country and the deer hunting is out of this world. Go to stillwatersranch.com to book your hunt today. Um, okay, well, let's pick it back up with our old friend Clay Pope. Uh, we're talking all things exotics. And, Clay, you know, something that's struck me as kind of interesting over the past decade or so is just the ebb and flow of the market. You know, we've seen perhaps the two most popular exotic species in Texas, the axis and blackbuck. I mean, the prices for those have doubled i mean literally doubled in the last few years um do you think we've reached a point where things have leveled out uh in the exotic hunting industry or are prices just going to keep going up
3: i think a lot a lot of it had to do with the oil field you know that was about you know about when the oil field boomed you know supply and demand very big role in it um but a lot of people. Became millionaires pretty quick that weren't millionaires before, and I think you know they went in and bought their look you know bought their little ranchette you know little five hundred thousand acre you know some bigger and wanted to put exotics on their little ranch so they came up here to the hill country and bought them a little ranch and high fenced it or bought one that was already existing and you know bought some animals so I think it it put an extra burden on the market that wasn't there you know in the past Mm -hmm. and uh you know with that said you know a lot more oil field companies were doing a lot of corporate hunting as well which also put a you know more of a burden on the on the market and it did it it drove the price up quite a bit I mean I don't necessarily like it when the price goes up I'm just like everybody else but um you know, the, the prices are slowly starting to creep back down. You know, I've, I've noticed that, you know, the axis really jetted up there pretty high. And I, I've noticed that the axis prices are starting to get back to stable, mm-hmm. somewhat affordable, maybe still a little bit high, but uh, coming back down from, you know, a pretty big high.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: But I, I would say a lot of your bigger African species of have kind of you know they kind of stayed the same through all of that. If if anything, I, I would say like a species like Transcaspian uriel, you know, a big example of something that came down quite a bit in this time frame. You know, ten years ago, if you wanted to shoot a Transcaspian uriel in in Texas, you were looking at twenty five thousand dollars all day long hmm. uh, if you could find one, and and now. You know, I've seen, to, you know, a good going rate around the market is around $10,000. Um, you know, some of the bongo, you know, that were 35000 you might be able to find for twenty twenty five thousand. 25000 mm-hmm. you know, now. But a lot of your basic species that everybody's going to hunt, your blackbuck, your, you know, fallow has went totally, completely crazy through the roof. And it's just supply and demand. Um, and, and they're still high and still going high because, because of supply and demand, you know, I think the axis has finally kind of leveled, leveled back out because, you know, their, their, their supply is starting to meet the demand, but the fallow has not by any means and, and their prices are still high and very steady. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to watch because, you know, like I'm going to South Africa, in two weeks, three weeks, and I I never been, but you know you can hunt kudu over there for fifteen hundred dollars if you want to shoot one in Texas, you know fifteen thousand uh, dollars,
1: yeah,
0: and then same with uh like gems buck here maybe five grand over there twelve fifty, uh but then you look at something like a sable, and that's like you know twelve to fifteen thousand either place, uh, correct. And I was talking to the outfitter about the sable specifically. I just think it's a beautiful beautiful animal. Um, I think they call it the King of the Plains the Prince of the Plains. I think is what its name is But uh, but he said don't he said don't don't shoot a sable this year. The price is going to come down so I think uh, you know going back to supply and demand Especially maybe in somewhere like you know a place like Texas where if people are starting to breed them more often You know, we're yeah. gonna have more and more of them and then you know it might start to be a little more affordable
3: for sure for sure I mean you know, the kudu, the kudu market here in Texas is still pretty strong somewhere, you know, but i sh- we shot a 16 inch kudu this past year. We shot a 59 and a 57 and all of them were under $15,000. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm always trying to find my hunters the best deal they can. I mean, I understand some guys will never, you know, take that plane ride over to Africa. And if. If they don't mind paying those prices, you know, I have the animals for them to hunt.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I'm not knocking it. It's, I mean, everyone right. has the right to, you know, if people want to pay fifteen grand for a kudu hunt, then absolutely, you know. Me,
3: personally, I'd rather take $15,000 and go to Africa and shoot, you know, 10 animals or <laughs> <Right. and> 8 <laughs> animals for sure. I yeah. mean, but, yeah. um, you know, so I understand. Well, let's but, be
0: honest, though. If someone has $15,000, probably is, uh, you know, a business owner and it might not be feasible for them to take two weeks off to go to Africa. Right. So right. Right. that's why I always say, you know, high fence, low fence, no fence, doesn't matter to me because I understand people want to knock a guy, the guy that goes and, and hunts two weekends a year and he goes and shoots a 180-inch white tail on a high fence. Guess what? Maybe that guy's uh, business life or family life dictates that he can't hunt, you know, every weekend like the rest of us want to or can. Uh, but he wants to go shoot a nice buck. Well, he should have the right to do that if he wants to pay for it. So that's where I come down on that. Uh, when people start ragging on just I just kind of giggle. It's like, because here's the thing is, how's that affecting you or me? It's not. It's not. So I just don't get it, but we could go on about that for days and days and days. I know you have some hounds. Um, what, what are you offering as far as hunts uh, go uh, coming up for this fall?
3: We do some bear hunting and lion hunting in New Mexico.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, I'll, start, uh, I'll start bear hunting right after we get done with our pronghorn hunt. I'll probably have some dogs up there with me. And as soon as, as soon as we get done in the panhandle of Texas hunting pronghorn, I'll move right on over to New Mexico and do a few bear hunts. And then usually around December, once the first snows start to fall, I'll, uh, I'll get back out to New Mexico and do some lion hunting. Uh, you know, they have quotas for males and females in certain zones. And after you shoot X amount of females, it might close it down. So you're not, you know, whereas in Texas, you know, every, all the landowners want you to, wh- whether it's a female or a male, they want it shot. And yeah, I would say that I see more lions in Texas now than, than I ever have. So, you know, both management practices aren't hurting the lion populations
0: at all oh yeah yeah it's funny there's a lot of ignorance out there on when you put a picture of a dead lion on social media and mountain lion people are like why would you shoot an endangered species and you're just like you moron there's more lions right now in north america than there have been in 150 years so so much I, I, ing- ignorance out there is proliferated by people who social media it's funny it gives people who have no voice and shouldn't have a viable opinion. Ah, uh, give them this uh, platform to just spread their ignorance would be the best way to put it.
3: Oh, believe me, I've had it happen to me. I've had it happen to the point where we had to. Uh, we contacted FBI and 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 we were we were told that we probably ought to contact the FBI over some of the threats that we received. I mean, it's just gross. It's grotesque. I, I've always, you know, kind of thought that there needs to be a little more education out there for people to understand. Uh, hunting a little bit better i mean i i've hunted around the world and you know have a really good grasp of hunting and conservation and and you know a lot of people out there just just have no idea yep. none whatsoever yeah
0: well we could talk about that for uh, till the end of time uh i was going to ask you if you've heard about the rhino conservation plan for south texas and uh, i think up to even four percent of the remaining um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's white rhinos, um, but up to 4% of their population would actually be enrolled in this Rhinos Forever plan, which is a non-hunting conservation initiative. Um, Texas ranchers and and uh, landowners are going to bring these. A lot of them are going to be orphaned uh, babies where the mom was poached for her ivory, and uh, then they're going to bring them over here. And, and uh, you know, I think it's a great conservation initiative, and there's, 100% guarantee that those animals will not be hunted. You know, that's kind of the deal that they've made. So I don't know if any of the ranches that you've, uh, that you hunt on are, are a part of that yet or not, but we just wanted to see if you'd heard about it.
3: Yeah, I've heard a little bit about it. Um, I'm a lifetime member of the EWA and, and Dallas Safari clubs, but, uh, I know the EWA has, uh, you know, had a real big hand in, in making that happen. And, you know, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a good deal. I mean, anything that they're involved in is, is, you know, they're looking out for the best interest of everybody. And I know they, you know, they probably had to make some kind of deal. You know, I, I understand the not hunting of them and all that good stuff. And, yeah you know it'd probably be a good deal for for everybody.
0: Well, you might have a different take on uh, what species is the biggest headache when these rhinos start tearing up fences. We'll see, I don't know, but that's uh, <laughs> a big animal. yeah, I mean <laughs> I, I
3: know I know some people that have had rhinos in the past, and I know that the enclosures that they've had them in were similar to enclosures in in zoos, you know where it was you know solid big metal pipe enclosures that they've had them in.
0: uh-huh, okay. Yeah, it seems like it would take something a little sturdier than your just, you know, your traditional uh, high fence. But
3: right, I mean, hunting, you know, and I've hunted all over the world, and you know, I, I was kind of surprised the first time I hunted in South Africa. You know, the fence that they had these animals behind, um, and you know, the, one of the ranches we hunted on had lions. They had elephant, and they had rhinos. In about uh, hundred and twenty thousand acres fenced,
2: uh-huh.
3: and it was all you know electric fence, single strand. I don't know how many strands there were total, but it was just one single. You know, about every other, every third strand was uh, electrified, mm-hmm. and I was just kind of in amazement that uh, it would hold those animals in. But I guess it, I guess it did its job. Yeah, uh-huh.
0: yeah, interesting. But uh, we are out of time, unfortunately. Clay, if you want to give us your contact info, and by the way, do you still have any pronghorn, uh, pronghorn hunts left for this fall, or are you sold out?
3: We are, I'll probably book four or five more hunts, but other than that, we are booked for this season in New Mexico and Texas.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Well, I know I'm looking forward to coming down there for, the. I think we're going to be there the last weekend of the Texas season. We'll be hunting with you in the, uh, in the panhandle there, uh, and our good friend Glenn Underwood from Coons Canyon Ranch, will be joining us on that trip as well. So we're certainly looking forward to it.
3: Looking forward to it, for sure.
0: What uh, Contact info if folks want to uh, look you up and book a hunt from anything for, from bongo to uh, mountain lion to, you know, axis or whitetail.
3: Uh, my uh, website is h u n t s i n t e x a s H-U-N-T-S-I-N-T-E-X-A-S.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook uh, under Pope Brothers. Uh, our office number is 325-446-2000. would awesome. love to have you. Love to earn your business.
0: All right, brother. Well, we certainly appreciate it, man. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you here coming up very soon, actually.
3: Yep, it'll be here before you
0: know it. Yeah. We'll do it again soon, man. All right. Take care, brother. Thank you. A good friend, Clay Pope of Pope Brothers Guide Service and Outfitting, a uh, inside look there at the exotic hunting industry, a pretty transparent interview uh, from you know an outfitter's perspective. Um, we, the consumers, have our <laughs> have our thoughts on exotic hunting. Some of you love it, some of you hate it, but it is big business, and uh, it's nice to get an inside look at the industry uh, from someone who is right there living it day in and day out. Uh, so we appreciate clay. And that segment by the way was brought to you by the all new scent blaster. Whether you hunt deer, hogs, bear, or other predators doesn't matter to the scent blaster. You simply put your favorite attractant in the scent container. That's right. Pour up to two ounces of your favorite lure into the scent container, turn on the fan, hang it in a tree, and let it rip. It simply keeps your wick wet longer. And that's what we all want, right? If you use attractants, hey, you know, if you don't use scent, then we're not trying to sell you on that. Uh, But if you do, then why wouldn't you want to change the game and get more scent out with Scent Blaster? You can find it at scentblaster.net. $24.95, that's right, only $24.95, and we'll throw in a six-pack of Scent Blaster's long-lasting wicks. That's right. It's all new for 2017. It's the Scent Blaster. You can find it at ScentBlaster.net. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll head up to the Texas-Oklahoma border, talk a little striper fishing with our old buddy Jacob Orr of Limitless Outdoor Adventures right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
1: But when it comes to services, I really don't care. Just bring them to me two at a time.
0: I drink country cool. Hey y'all, Cable here for Accelerate Auto Group, owned by my childhood baseball buddy. They're a full service dealership and service restoration and customization facility in Garland, specializing in cool truck customizations, lift kits, performance upgrades. They'll even Kevlar your entire truck or its bed. The perfect heavy duty finish for hunting and fishing. Accelerate Auto Group also offers 100% custom truck builds. The sky is the limit. Visit AccelerateAutoGroup.com or call 469-300-9669 today. visit bobcat of dallas.com or call 469-586-0000 hey y'all chris letzinger online sales manager at cinnamon creek ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club we're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges full pro shop and six different 3d courses cinnamon creek was designed by hunters for hunters located in Roanoke, texas we have over 200 3d targets to hone your archery skills Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com.
2: Hey, this is WWE Hall of Famer and host of McMillan River Adventures on the Outdoor Channel,
0: Sean Michaels. And you are listening to the Lone Star Outdoors. Spoon. She was here with me, her blonde hair blowing in
1: the breeze, with
0: a touch that was hotter than a July blacktop road. Those David Smith, welcome everybody to back time. to the Lone Star Maybe Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer life. and Hoff Power Polaris. Drive is the I name of that bad. one, uh, from Jamie Richards, friend of the show. Uh, speaking of friends of the program... We're going to talk some striper fishing with our old pal, Jacob Orr, of Limitless Outdoor Adventures here momentarily. Uh, But before we do that, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by the all-new Drive Over Chalk. Whether you're hauling a Jeep, ATV, four-wheeler, golf cart, or otherwise, the Drive Over Chalk is the most user-friendly and convenient product out there. You don't have to fool with tie-downs. Ratchet straps, none of that stuff. You just drive over and you dock it. Drive over. Literally, you just drive over the Drive Over Chalk and your investment is secure. Plus, if you order one right now and tell them that you heard about it on our show, you'll get free shipping. That's a $50 value. So you can find it at driveoverchalk.com. That's driveoverchalk.com and tell them I sent you. Right. Uh, well, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest. Like I said, he's a good friend of mine been duck hunting and striper fishing with this dude for, oh gosh, probably six, seven years now. And when it comes to those big old striped bass that inhabit Lake Texoma, nobody knows them better or fishes them harder than our buddy Jacob Orr. Thanks for dropping in, brother. Hey, thanks for having me back, Cable. You bet. You bet. So uh, how's the the fishing been up on Texoma, my favorite uh, striped bass fishery.
2: Man, it's uh, it's been great. You know, this year is the best year we've had since the flood in 2015. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, we're getting into some big fish out there some days, and then some days just fill the cooler up with uh you know box fish. You know, just good size, eat, you know, keeping eating size fish. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, like I said, the, the flood of 2015, the spawn we had that year was really really good, and and. Uh, two years later now we're catching the fish that you know spawned that year so yeah. next year is going to be a really good year those fish will be up to 19 20 inches and there'll be a lot of those you know really good size fish in the lake
0: absolutely absolutely well and now you grew up on texoma jacob uh, i mean that's like your stomping grounds both for fishing and duck hunting uh, how has the fishery changed since the time that you started guiding and and uh and how how long have you been doing this about 10 years now
2: yeah i've been doing it uh you know ever since i graduated high school you know so i've been doing it for uh, 13 years wow. this year
0: and uh, you know kind of on
2: and off in the beginning and uh full time for the last eight years this is all done yeah and uh you know the fishing i can remember it being easier you know when i was when i was younger and uh you know, bait wasn't as hard to catch, you know, I don't know if that's just a lot more fishermen on the lake, uh-huh. you know, it seems like there's a lot more guides, you know, than there used to be. And uh, especially, you know, this time of year, you have, you know, guides come out and, uh, you know, guide this through the summer and then they, uh, you know, go and do other things, you know, other times of the year. But, you know, for us guys, that this is all we do uh, for a living year round, you know, it's definitely gotten a little more difficult, uh, you know, over the years and the and the droughts and the floods don't help with that, you know.
0: Right, right. Well yeah and leading up to 2015 though I mean that was like I guess 2014 and then even on into the beginning of 2015 was like you're really starting to catch some of those those giant fish that Texoma became known for in the you know 70s 80s and into the early 90s. The thing about it though is these fish are not freshwater fish they're native to the salt water and they come into freshwater they go up rivers and estuaries to spawn I mean that's what they do and they're native up and down, you know, the Atlantic coast. Um, And they call them rockfish. We call them striper. But uh, I guess when that flood happened, you know, they opened the dam and all of the big fish just went up river or down river. Yeah,
2: I mean, you know, I wouldn't say all, but I would say most. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, because it's crazy to go from 14 and early 15 catching, you know, 20, 25-plus-pound fish to uh, not even – hearing about a fish that's over 15 pounds you know in the last two years
0: yeah and
2: uh you know maybe a maybe a 20 pound fish but uh you know not like we were catching them in 14 and the early 15 yeah. you know and those fish when they get that age they get just have that instinct to you know follow the current and, and go with the current so you know like i said we were catching them you know that summer below the dam you know, on the, you know below the spillway in the dam there and uh you know those are all the big fish we had in the lake all those 20 25 pound fish we were catching in the river you know so yeah it was fun while it lasted but now we'll have to wait for those fish to grow up again out here on the lake
0: so where do those fish end up i mean they just live out the rest of their life in the river system or what
2: man you know yes um you know they've been generating and uh you know keeping the river you know having some water in the river obviously helps them and uh they can travel up and uh eat the bait that's rolling out and uh you know, I know there's still a couple guys fishing down there, um, but, you know, there was every day down there, there was, you know, 100 to 200 people fishing off the bank and, and, you know, 30 to 40 guides, you know, in their boats in the river. I mean,
0: you know, we hammered
2: on those fish pretty good. And, but if they go, they just go all the way down to Mississippi and Louisiana, you know, estuaries around there, I guess, and, hmm. and uh, they can definitely survive that trip down there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and we've talked about it over the years, how, Lake Texoma is only one of five landlocked bodies of water in the entire United States that where striped bass will reproduce naturally. And I think it's the salinity and, you know, the Red River coming into Texoma. You you know more about it than I do. But it's a very unique fishery, to say the least.
2: Yeah, that's you know exactly right. The Red River that comes in from the west. And then we also have the Ouachita River that comes in from the north. And, you know, fish use both of those rivers to spawn, I would say, you know, a few more use the Red River uh, than the Washita, but they use both of them. And, uh, you know, when the water's up and they can have a good spawn, those fish will run 30, 40, 50 miles up the river and uh, yeah. spawn that far up the river just so they have a, you know, laying their eggs, have a, have a good chance. And, uh, you know, when the water's up like that, I mean, there's a, a high survival rate. You know, and we have a good spawn. And, you know, obviously two years later, you really start catching those fish and then, you know, five, six, seven years later, there there's some big fish in the lake.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, just to kind of put into perspective how big of a destination Texoma has been and still is, uh, we had on the, we did a bow fishing interview with uh, Joe Cermelli, he's the, the fishing editor for Field and Stream magazine, and we were talking about, um, I don't know how we got, we were talking about striper fishing, and I mentioned Texoma, and he goes, dude, that's on my bucket list, he's like, I gotta get down there and striper fish on Texoma. So for, for someone of that stature to say that was like on near the top of his bucket list, uh, just kind of tells you the, uh, the stature, you know, the, uh, significance of, of Lake Texoma as a, as a destination. So, um, but it's great to hear that the fish are rebounding, like you said, you're catching solid fish, um, tons of fish. I mean, I've been looking at your pictures you're posting on Facebook and Instagram and you guys are wearing them out. So tell us, uh, how you're catching them, you know, where you're finding them as far as what depth, and then what you're catching them on.
2: You know, this time of year, it's a, it's, a, it's a little more simple. There's fish that'll be blowing up on top out there, and that's an obvious sign. I mean, when you got fish blowing bait out of the water and you're, you're seeing stripers literally come flopping out of the water, I mean, it's a pretty obvious sign, and the problem with that is it's so obvious for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, like this weekend and we've had so much boat traffic, the fishing's, you know, been a little, little off, you know, we're still boxing a bunch of fish, but just not limits of fish. And, uh, you know, a lot of those fish are in anywhere from 40 to 80 foot of water right now. They're, you know, going to be suspended, uh, you know, halfway down, you know, from halfway down to the top, you know, in whatever depth of water you're fishing. And, uh, like I said, they'll, you know, be blowing up on top and the fish that are on top are little fish. And, uh, you know, they're a year old fish, and, you know, you really don't want to, you know, mess with those a bunch unless you, you know, got some little kids in the boat or something like that. I mean, they're not even, you know, worth keeping and eating.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
2: uh, if you can get a bait, you know, we're using live bait right now, and you, you can get a bait down to those little fish to the, you know, like I said, you know, I'm fishing halfway down, then, uh, you know, you can catch some better fish underneath those little fish right and uh you know using big bait helps you know as well obviously and you know we try to when we're catching bait in more and try to pick through them and, and use the biggest uh you know shad we can get and uh that's obviously works the works the best but you know people are catching them on slabs as well out there you know dropping those slabs down and just burning them up to the top mm-hmm. you know jigging it halfway up and and uh you know popping it a couple times and then burning it back up but you know they're doing well on those also mm-hmm.
0: So talk about your setup as far as your, what kind of line you're using, uh, what hook and size, if you're putting a weight on these shadow, you're just freelining and letting them just go to the bottom. How, break that down for us.
2: No, no, I use, you know, just the, uh, kind of old school catfish combo with the, you know, Abba Garcia, 5,500 on a, on an ugly stick, you know, medium, medium weight, ugly stick. And, uh, you know, running 20 pound Berkeley big game, uh, main line and, uh, ounce and a half weight you know with a swivel mm-hmm. and then running a uh, 15 to 17 pound fluorocarbon leader and uh you know i like to use the octopus hooks they don't seem like they uh, swallow them quite as bad these stripers. when you're fishing live bait are you know just going to swallow it 90 percent of the time so yeah it uh you know even if you stick them quick so you know i like to use those octopus hooks that you can get out uh you know easily and you know if you have to return that fish then you know you're not killing them but also so they don't bleed all over my boat, you know, so (laughs) that's a, you know, that's a, that's, that's the setup we're using. And, uh, you know, you can cut all that weight and hook and, you know, all that off there and tie a slab onto that and, you know, go slabbing with that setup as well.
0: Okay. Okay. Let's talk about the bait because I mean, it's a journey in and of itself every morning. I know you get up extremely early. Um, is, is that the biggest beating about being a guide, or would you say that uh, cleaning 40 striper after you've been up since 3 a.m. chasing bait is a bigger beating? And I know it all comes with the territory, and, and you love being a guide, but what is the most difficult thing about your job? You
2: know, it's it's nothing's just real difficult. I mean, I, I enjoy cleaning fish just because, you know, if I'm cleaning a bunch of fish and you know it was a successful day and, and a bunch of smiles around the boathouse you know right. if I don't have anything to clean then nobody's happy you know? <laughs> but uh you know definitely just the the weather is a big part of you know my job is you know like last couple Saturdays ago we had a, you know a bunch of trips going out and had to reschedule them all and couldn't even go fishing you know but I still got out there at three thirty and went and caught bait in the rain and you know it just never did stop raining so we couldn't go fishing and uh you know, the weather and then, like you said, the bait, you know, they're, they're so finicky that, uh, you know, you'll be catching them one day, you know, throw the net one time and have a hundred baits. And, you know, then the next day you're throwing a hundred times to catch 10 baits, hmm. you know, so it's, uh, every day's a, a, a different day with, uh, catching bait and, uh, you know, just, uh, the learning curve of teaching people, you know, to catch fish, to catch these fish is, you know, you got to wait on to really take that bait sometimes it's difficult when you see that rod bending a little bit and not set the hook. And, uh, you know, it's definitely, you got to wait on these fish just a little bit to, uh, you know, eat it and then set that hook and, and teaching people that little learning curve is, you know, when you've got to catch
0: fish early, early
2: in the morning, before the boat traffic gets there, is it's a struggle sometimes as well.
0: We And, you know, I always go back to as someone who grew up bass fishing. Uh, that's what my dad loves to do to this day. It's his favorite thing. When you start using live bait, yeah, because here's the the instinctive reaction for a bass fisherman is just to just as soon as you feel that, just rip the bass's face oh, yeah. off. Oh yeah. Yep.
2: Working a yeah, working a worm across the bottom. Oh yeah. That. yeah. Yeah.
0: And so, still, the like if I go fishing with you or go out down to the coast and fish with uh, Captain Lynn or whoever, there's always that first couple fish where I just miss them because I try to set the hook on them and I I don't let them swallow the bait. So there's definitely that that uh, learning curve. It's a totally different ball game. Give us some advice on how to catch shad So you've got a net. Uh, a casting net and you want to, you and your buddies want to go out for the weekend and catch some shad and then get out on the lake and you know whether you want to catch a catfish or stripe or whatever um how do you find the shad this time of year you know we're getting our trips are leaving out
2: at you know six o'clock in the morning so you know we're getting there at uh you know three forty four o'clock to uh get bait mm-hmm. and uh you know we're running out there you know in 40 to 50 foot of water and you know hanging lights side of our boats Mm -hmm. So you, uh, you know, run out there and just, you know, we've all got lights on rods or however you got them set up and, you know, put your light on the water there. And I mean, you know, within five minutes, it seems like sometimes they're just flipping under your light and coming out, of you know, flipping out of the water Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, obviously throw on them and, you know, depending on how fast you're drifting, you know, you want to throw out in front of your light. You know, a lot of guys will try to throw right on their light. And, uh, you know, by the time your net's five, six foot down, it's already underneath the it is so you know you just want to uh you know like i said hang a light and you know watch for them flipping and and uh get out there early in the morning you know they're hard to catch after the sun comes up this time of year
0: Uh huh. okay so there's your there's your tip you gotta get a light going uh that's gonna bring them in and then there's obviously a learning curve on throwing the casting yet i'm not going to have you go into that because uh, that's going to be trial and error i imagine for most people but yeah. um as far as keeping the bait alive you told me off the air Actually, I think it was one of our Instagram followers booked a trip with you, and then I guess he tries to do some fishing on uh, Possum Kingdom, and he was asking you f- for a little help as far as his bait kept dying. Uh, so what do you do to keep your shad alive?
2: Well, yeah, you know, shad are, like I said, real finicky and fragile, and, uh, you know, as few times as you can touch them as possible is, is better, you know, obviously, and you never want to touch them with your hands, you know, always try to get keep them in the net, and, uh, you know, until you're putting them on the hook. But, you know, he's got to be kept in a round tank and, uh, you know, we put a handful of rock salt, you know, in your tank for every 10 gallons, but about one handful. And, uh, you know, that's going to keep them alive. And then they obviously had to, you know, the water has to be you know, filtered and circulated, but, uh, you know, you can keep, you know, two or three dozen alive in your, you know, in your live oil on a center console or something like that, you know, for the morning fishing trip. Right. But you just still have to put some salt in there on them and, and, uh, you know, there you know at least the uh, bubbler going really well in it
0: okay okay um let me ask you this is a is a professional striper guide do you have any interest in going up to the uh, eastern shore and chasing these fish in their, their their native saltwater habitat
2: oh yeah i'd love to go up there i mean they catch fish up there you know that are pushing 70 80 pounds and uh it's common for a 40, 50 pound fish up there, but you know, that's a fall, a fall deal. And I just had not been able to make that time of the year work, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'd definitely love to go up there and and catch one. You know, our fish in this lake came out of uh, South Carolina and uh, you know, they're, they're close to that area, but I'd love to get off the coast up there and uh, Chesapeake Bay or somewhere like that and, and catch one of those big, you know, saltwater striper.
0: Well, I'm down to do a uh, Chesapeake Bay duck hunt. So let's do that and get after the stripers at the same time. Yeah
2: that'll work let me get that going
0: for sure uh hey last thing here i didn't want to i didn't want to tell our listeners about something unfortunate that happened to you recently we're glad that you're okay but uh you suffered a nasty catfish injury uh what happened on that deal
2: yeah yeah that's uh that was an unfortunate thing for sure we had had our limit of uh stripers in the boat and uh you know these people first day to fish with me we caught him pretty good, and, and uh you know, a guy had a big fish on, and I netted it, and it ended up being a, a big, uh, you know, 12, 15-pound blue cat, mm-hmm. and, uh, you, know, it, you know, like I said, we had a limit of so I said, well, that's the last fish, let's, let's head in, and he was taking a picture with it, and handed it back to me, and I kind of fumbled it, and, you know, dropped it on my foot, and that dorsal fin on the catfish went into the, you know, top of my left foot there, Oof. And uh, you know, it was a straight trip to the emergency room from the boathouse and, and uh make sure it didn't, you know, break a piece of the fin off in me and it uh it's still sore, especially I noticed it was a little cold this morning on the lake and it was it was even more sore when it's cold, so it looks like I'm gonna have one of those things uh the rest of my life that'll get sore <laughs> when it gets cold out. So But it's definitely gonna be a a good looking scar, you know, and and a good story to tell people, I guess. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah. Well and do uh you always be, you know people say be careful around catfish fins do they actually have any any kind of venom or bacteria in there that was even more of a cause for concern
2: well that's exactly you know just the bacteria on the fin i
0: mean mm-hmm.
2: you know as well as anybody you know when you, when you touch a catfish i mean it's just slime and and uh you know not smooth or rough you know like a uh, like a striper you know they're just covered in slime you know when you reel one up your line's covered in slime and and uh you know that's the the bacteria on the outside of the fin you know when it, punctures me like that you know it was a good three quarters of an inch down there yeah and uh you know just the infection afterwards is all you'd worry about there's old stories of you know guys saying rub the uh belly of the catfish on your uh you know wound of
0: a a fin of a
2: catfish and i'll let them i'll take their word for it but i wasn't going to try that (laughs) on this one
0: (laughs) i hope somebody ate that fish
2: yeah (laughs) yeah. they did they did
0: (laughs) i actually had catfish
2: that night for dinner i was uh yeah yeah you got you, got, you got the last word, word. <laughs> that's right <laughs> all right it makes man, me well, cringe. everyone we put in the boat still it makes me makes me cringe
0: yeah no doubt no doubt well i haven't had that pleasure i hope i never do uh better you no. than me so yeah. yeah um well hey folks can find your website limitlessoutdooradventures.com striper fishing duck hunting in the fall i know you're pretty booked up it's been a great summer for for you uh but i think you still have a few dates open
2: Yep, for sure, especially going into this fall. You know, October, November is, uh, you know, really good fishing down here. And, uh, you know, we get, this first starts cooling off, and we start getting into those bigger fish again. So it's, uh, it's
0: definitely a good time to book. Well, hey, man, we appreciate it, buddy. Looking forward to our next time out. Thanks, Cable. Take care. Bye. All right, Jacob Orr, our good friend of Limitless Outdoor Adventures. Uh, awesome striper conversation there. <laughs> Feel bad for him about the uh, catfish injury. But, uh, hey, no pain, no gain. That is just the guide's life, I guess. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. It's grilling, smoking, and barbecue time, my friends. And you can find All Seasons Feeders' entire lineup of grills, smokers, and barbecue pits right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. Do yourself a favor. I've got one of their pits in my backyard. And uh, <laughs> when my friends come over, hmm yeah. They are in for a treat time after time. My wild game goes on the all-season smoker. You should do the same for your friends and family. They will appreciate it. And you can find the entire lineup right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. Let's knock out a break. Up next, (laughs) a very socially charged issue when it comes to this great country. Uh, Specifically, though, what about gays in the hunting community? One young man tells his story next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
1: a little more
0: less smoke, a little more Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution, the system hog trap
1: Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motorcars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. This is Ish Monroe. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
3: No, I don't care if you buy her
4: drink
1: Boy, she's not the kind of girl you think
0: because back when we were loving, she thought Cowboys were something, now they ain't. There's a little Cody Johnson band bringing us back on the Lone long Star Outdoor Show she Power by Now Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Uh, Thanks so much for being here today as we're about to stoke the embers of a uh, an always controversial social issue. Uh, but first, before we, and I've, we've never done anything like this before, i tell you that right now. Uh, but we have a platform, and uh, we're going to use it, by gosh. So anyway, this segment is brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, available right now in the Lone Star Beer. Come and take it can. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the lake this summer and celebrate responsibly with a nice cold Lone Star Beer. Okay, well, we are about to take on something that uh, I never thought we'd talk about on this show, to be honest with you. But the Supreme Court recently ruled that gay marriage is legal across this entire land. And I'll be honest with you, I personally don't have a problem with it. I don't care. Um, I believe God sees a person's heart and that is what is most important. So with that being said, I got this uh, this thought in my head after reading an article about one young man's struggle And my initial reaction was nobody should ever feel like they can't hunt or fish or do the things that they love because of their sexual orientation. And again, let me be very clear that I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't believe when it comes to homosexuality. I'm just telling you that there are people out there who, much like you and I, love to hunt and fish, and they don't feel comfortable doing those things because of the way society says they should or shouldn't act and that's a shame. So, uh, without further ado, let's bring on uh, our next guest here. Uh, he's the author of the, the article that really got me thinking about this topic. It's my pleasure to welcome Luke Zesch to the show. Oh, thank you. you for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Uh, I hope you had a great 4th of July. Yeah, definitely. A lot of fun. Good deal. Well, first of all, how uh, how is this past hunting season for you?
4: Ah, uh, you know it. It was fun. It's always fun. I love being outside, but um, I hunt in northern Wisconsin, and it's it's definitely changed a little bit since I was a kid. That there's not as many big bucks, and uh, but I always have fun. It's always great to be out there. Right,
0: right, no doubt. Well, and I can't believe it. It's uh, God, looking at the calendar, about 53, 52, 53 days until dove season's here. So it's gonna, it's right around the oh. corner.
4: <laughs> awesome.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um. Well, tell us about your upbringing, man. You spent a lot of time in the outdoors, and, and I know you grew up in a small town in Wisconsin.
4: Yeah. Um, so since since I was little, I mean, my, my dad, my favorite thing that we would do is he used to tell me right before we were about to go to sleep, he would tell me um, hunting stories. So the best, some of the best hunting, we mostly whitetail hunt. So he'd uh-huh. tell me um, you know, the best like buck stories that he had, mainly bow hunting. Um, and he'd I'd always make him kind of retell me the favorites. Uh, and we'd also do, we did a lot of rough grouse hunting. So where I'm from, is actually, they say there's a big sign as you come into town that it's the rough grouse capital of the world. Oh, wow. um, so he would take me out. Yeah. And we would walk, um, you know, through the woods, we own a decent amount of land up in northern Wisconsin, and he would call me Eagle Eye because I would always be the one to spot the rough grouse, kind of in the woods, and that's is just my life. I mean, I remember <laughs> waiting, you know, for school to get out so I could go hunt. I remember tracking deer with my dad. That is just it was everything to me.
0: Right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it sounds like a great upbringing. Um, yeah. And and I know you grew up in a you know Christian home yeah yep definitely a Christian home my, I am still Christian or
4: I still identify as Christian, so that was a you know a very big part of my life as well. you know, go to church every Saturday night or Sunday uh-huh. and
0: yeah yeah well I, well and 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 I uh recently came across this story um I think it was on outdoor sports and and we're going to get into that here momentarily, but um it was you wrote it about yourself and your life. So, when yeah. did you realize that you didn't fit the bill of the stereotypical hunter anymore?
4: Um, I would probably say when I was about seven, 17, uh-huh. uh, you know, things, I just, I started to feel like an outsider or um, kind of as I was starting to struggle with my own identity, it made me question where I fit and made me kind of reject some of the the places where I felt a little bit uncomfortable
0: okay okay so you're gay when did you actually come out to your family and friends and and tell them who you really were um
4: so my friends probably a little bit earlier when I was in school in college um, wow. I was probably about 23 or 24 and I actually I uh, didn't tell my family until this October so I was 26 years old then
0: wow wow what I mean what a struggle um I mean, and I and I have family members that are gay also. I mean, they're the best people that I know. They're uh, the aunts to my kids. And uh, my sister-in-law loves to, to bird hunt. She has a German short hair. Uh, she loves to get outdoors and, and play golf and sports. And I know sports was a big part of your upbringing as well. But for a while there in reading this piece, you, you gave up the things that you loved the most just because you didn't feel like uh, it, it fit with who you had become or you felt the pressure that you weren't supposed to be doing those things?
4: Yeah, so I kind of, I guess the easiest way or the way I've kind of come to understand it is um, when you lie about parts of who you are, so whether it's intentional or lies kind of sometimes a strong word, but I think it's the most easy one to relate to. When you don't tell the truth about things or when you find yourself kind of skirting around issues or not being able to share your full self with, with the people around you, the people that you're closest to, it has a different sort of impact on you than, than I ever thought it would. You know, you, you almost start to lose touch with, you don't necessarily know what you like because you find yourself always kind of trying to dance around an issue or make people think a certain way about you because you're trying to hide something else. Mm Uh, so I, I gave up hunting. I gave up some of the things that I cared about because it was hard to, it's hard to be in a space where, um, if you tell the truth, or if you're your full self, you fear that you know you may be rejected, or you're maybe around people who talk about being gay or talk about you know kind of certain things in a negative way. So it makes you sort of question, um, should I be here, or, or what if these people who I care about, what what will they do if if they find out? So instead of facing the rejection, you kind of just remove yourself from the situation to avoid it.
0: Sure, sure. Well, and and, and I picture this, and you alluded to this in your in your piece, but. Here's a guy who loves sports, loves hunting, but in a locker room, it's guys, you know, talking about girls and probably using some slangs that would be offensive to the gay community. Uh, And then at hunting camp, it's, you know, having some whiskey after a long day in the woods, a couple beers and talking about women and, you know, uh, I imagine that would be kind of uncomfortable.
4: Yeah, it's just... um... You know, it's such a hard feeling to to describe, but I guess it's kind of like in the room if you, you know, maybe you can relate it to politics in a sense of, you know, you're you're a Republican and all the Democrats in the room are, you know, just bashing on Republicans or talking about things that you don't, you know, you don't necessarily agree with. And it's having to have that maybe moment, that leap of faith where you say, oh, you know, you enter into dialogue about that and and you disagree. And there's always that risk there that it's going to turn
0: ugly or that you may lose a friend. Right. Well, so uh, how long did you give up those things that uh, you, you enjoy the most?
4: Um, you know, it
0: was probably about a total of geez, at least 6 years. Uh-huh. I would say. Okay. So Yeah. So what was it like when when you, I mean, would your dad ask you and say would hey, look, do you want to go uh, bow hunting or what was that like?
4: Um, you know, I I kind of I, I would have it excuses as to why or like and I would still be in the woods and go in the woods but I, I would just come up with excuses you know I was I was in school so I could kind of avoid the situation um uh-huh. it definitely though made me lose kind of some closeness with not only my dad but other people in my family and and other relationships in my life too as you kind of share less and less about your life with others um you you kind of you learn to protect yourself in different ways. So not only, you know, maybe the romantic pieces are dating if you're doing that, but you start to share less and less about people because you maybe feel distrustful of them. You 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 start to wonder, well, if they ever find out the truth, am I, you know, have I shared too much with these people? And like, is it going to hurt more? Or will they use it against me? Mm.
0: Uh, this is, I mean, the the struggle that you went through is it? I mean, I feel for you. Uh, nobody should have to feel like that. And whether our listeners think, you know, it's right or wrong or whatever, it doesn't matter to me. I already told you off the air that uh, I'm a pretty forward-thinking conservative when it comes to social issues and stuff. Uh, now, touch the Second Amendment or my guns, and you'll draw you'll draw back a nub. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I, I wanted to bring this to people's attention just to shed light on it um, because I don't know, Luke, I don't know how many gay people actually hunt um, is – since you're immersed in the community, is are there a lot of homosexual hunters out there? I have no idea because the numbers that I have, uh, the latest numbers according to like 2011 survey, uh, 6% of Americans hunt. So I don't know if 6% of um, homosexuals hunt or not, but have you found many more like yourself?
4: Um, You know, yeah, I think... I definitely have met people. I've talked to people Um, in writing that article. Others, a lot of other people, reached out to me. Uh Uh, I I would say the biggest thing, the biggest, one of the biggest motivators for me to write that article uh, was I think that there's a certain image of of people who hunt, and then there's also a certain image of people who are gay, and I think that it they clash. So there's not a lot of people, you know, who are maybe out who are willing to take kind of that leap. And I'll be very honest, I've met a good amount of people who hunt and who are not out and who maybe never will come out because they come from a place like I come from. They come from a a small town where, you know, not that small towns are bad. I love where I'm from, but they come from a place of where maybe coming out, the stakes are higher Mm -hmm. or coming from a family that's outdoor, like lives their life outdoors and, and is a part of that lifestyle. The loss of that can be so scary, or the the backlash from being different. Um, people sometimes live their whole lives n- never being in love, or finding the truth, or showing people who they really are because they're just afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not that's nothing to be ashamed of in either sense. But that's one of the the main reasons that I shared that article is because I was starting to see it not only how it impacted my life, but how it was starting to impact the lives of people who were really great,
0: who were just being crushed in some senses. What was the reception like from your family?
4: Um, you know, my my family, I think they're trying to come to a point of acceptance, but they've definitely struggled with it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I have a, such a close family. It it's re- really is incredible. And that's one of the things that, held me back from telling the truth for so long was I didn't want to be, you know, like I love Luke, but I love Luke anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, you just want it to be, I love you. I love you the same as I always did. Um, And my family struggled, I think with, you know, I think there's a loss period. There's a, your parents have pictures of what your life is going to look like. And, you know, they have to have time to let those things go as well. Mm -hmm. I think the Christian piece plays a big role for my family. Um, but they're they're working through it, and I think that you know there's a level of patience that I have to have with them as much as I want them to have that with
0: me. right, right, well, that makes sense. Um, what about as far as the LGBT community, uh, you've talked about you know you've come across other people who maybe feel too even you know unlike yourself, they're not willing to come out because they feel so much pressure. Um, but in general, is it frowned upon by well, I'm going to say that I think the LGBT community is pretty liberal. So, I'm not sure if killing a deer and, you know, sticking your hands inside of a deer and getting your hands bloody if that fits the <laughs> bill of what that community generally thinks is acceptable. Um have you dealt with any blowback from that reality of hey, this is how this is how honey works. We kill and we eat our animals?
4: Um a little bit, you know, in that article when that article came out there was definitely i got a few emails that you know were just like very strongly worded of you know you want people to be kind to you well you should be kind to animals and um you know i got some some lectures and my response to that was respect you know i i think that um it's important to hear other people's perspectives and that doesn't necessarily mean that that you have to agree so something i'm big on is feedback we all get feedback on things in different ways and we have to step back from it and really weigh it and say, you know, is this meaningful to me? Do I agree with this? Is there something you know, is there something here that I should be listening to? Or sometimes you get feedback and you do those things and you say, you know, it's not. You know, I'm okay with doing this and this is this is important to me. Uh, so there's definitely there was definitely some pushback. Um, I think there's almost more pushback on the side of it. it's hard to find. There's a lot of LGBT spaces. You know there's lgbt bars there's maybe lgbt groups but that doesn't fit everyone that doesn't um there's a there's not the same maybe type of camaraderie as hunting mm-hmm. so i think that that can almost be harder And i think some some people don't come out because the places where they're going to find the most acceptance aren't the places where they want to spend their time um, and that's definitely something that, that i've found that's made it a little bit maybe more lonely or just a little bit more of a path you go down on your own mm-hmm. um, Okay. So I think that's an interesting piece of it as well.
0: Uh, so, as a Christian, maybe the those LGBT bars are not the places that you want to spend the majority of your time. Uh,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I think I think that's a good good way to put it.
4: And not that they're bad, but there's a, a different type of, of social aspect to sure, it.
0: Sure, sure. Okay. Um, going back to this past election, um, I mean, I, it was it's. Not lost in anyone mm-hmm. the, the lGBT community largely was pro hillary um, and and so when you think and and I get a lot of blowback from number one vegans um some homosexuals and then just some uh just liberals on our on our social uh, media pages and so this is the thing that always strikes me as ironic is the let's just call it the liberal machine always talks about social acceptance and preaches you know live and let live but by god luke if you go kill an animal and post it up Mm -hmm. and smile like oh i shot this big deer and i'm and i'm happy and i don't care i'm happy as hell i spent all the time money energy froze my ass off in the woods shot this giant buck of course i'm smiling and then i'm going to eat it and that's going to make me even happier but they'll tell you you know go get hit by an 18-wheeler oh take your kids with you You y'all stand in the street get run over uh, you know, I wish that if you're hunting predators, I wish that wolf or that lion or w- name the species rips your throat out. And the, the hate and animosity from this so-called social acceptance fraternity is mind-blowing to me. And I don't know if you've posted or if you have an Instagram or whatever, if you ever posted a picture or would you not post a picture of a, you with a dead buck because you, didn't, you don't want that blowback? I don't know. But I feel a lot of hate from, I guess, let's just say this this community that calls himself socially accepting. Um, and then you go kill an animal and then it's like, Whoa, uh, I don't know if you feel any of that or not.
4: Yeah. You know, I've definitely felt that. And I think it's something I've thought a lot about,
0: you know, not only in the
4: hunting sphere, not only in the LGBT sphere, but, um, something that I I feel like I've come to learn is that oftentimes on things like social media or maybe even in the media in general, the loudest voices often carry the least, um powerful messages uh, so something you know people who are wishing violence on other people people who can't kind of step outside of their own um worlds and look at other people and offer kindness or a, a perspective of empathy and understanding, those are the voices that kind of like I was saying before, I discredit. Mm. So I, I don't pay attention to them. Not that they're they can't have an opinion, but sometimes you look at you look at an opinion and you you decide that that's, it's not rational. You know, that's not somebody whose advice I would take. That's not someone who I'm going to really listen to or give a lot of credit to because their message is so so false in so many ways
0: right right okay that's a good way to put it um let me ask you this as far as going back to hunting what is the biggest buck that you've shot
4: um the biggest buck that i've shot is i believe a 10 pointer with a 17 inch spread oh wow that's not a yeah, nice buck. yeah 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 pretty good yeah. um you know it's been a long time since sorry i'm large loud cars going by um it's been a long time since i've shot a buck it's probably been about five years so i can tell you the the best buck my dad has shot was a 19 pointer i believe with a 22 inch spread so oh, a really God. incredible buck yeah yeah
0: wow this is wisconsin giant for sure uh, yeah yeah uh, do you prefer bow or rifle
2: uh bow
0: oh uh-huh. bow my favorite okay um <clears throat> What is the biggest obstacle that you face today? So you've come out uh, to your friends and family and now the world. You wrote this article. You're on our show. We appreciate you being here, and um, that takes a lot of courage. What What is the biggest obstacle that you still face today Is someone who finds really or feels the most peace when they're sitting in the whitetail woods?
4: I guess I would say,
0: you or know. Maybe what? you've already overcome that. Maybe you're Maybe you're on the free and clear now. I don't know.
4: No, that's that's a good question. It's actually one, I, I do have the answer. I'm trying to think the best way to say it. It goes back a little bit to, I used to work for a really great organization. This story has a point, I swear. I used to work for a really great organization, UW Credit Union. And that's where I kind of learned about that feedback loop. And I had mentors who really showed me what it meant to be honestly and live honestly and and, and look at yourself and look at the people around you. Um, and w- when I was leaving Madison, I, I moved to take a different job, something I did with all my friends. And this was kind of before I I'd, I'd really started the coming out process. I asked them, I said, what do you think about me? And I said, I don't want, I don't want the sugarcoat answer. I want the good, I want the bad. And the recurring theme was always, you know, you care so much about us, you care about our lives, but people I'd known for years, some of them more than 15 years said, Sometimes we feel like we don't know you. Hmm. And I think that has been a recurring struggle in my life is opening up to people. So it's not like I make things up about my life, but I just don't say anything, you know, those maybe special moments that you're supposed to have. Um, Some of those things that a lot of people appreciate, maybe going on a date in college or taking somebody to prom or even just the little things. I never shared little things like that with people because I was afraid and it started to bleed into a lot of the other things about my life that I just never told people. So not just romantic things, just the little things that you should share with others. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm still working on. You know, I'm, I'm still working on feeling like I can connect to people and, and letting people feel like they know me. And that's mm-hmm. important. I think Absolutely. that's what life is about. People, you know, yeah. people in relationships and experiences. Um, yeah. So I'd say that's the main reason why I shared that story, too, is just, you know, look at the people around you. And even if they're different, even if they're, you know, those people who are screaming that you shouldn't be hunting or they're those people who don't think, you know, that they think that LGBT people at Pride should get shot or run over by a bus um those are we're all people that just need the most love and if we looked at each other a little bit more like that we probably would have a lot better of a world
0: yeah yeah well and and i think um if the hunting community can show that you know we're absolutely open minded to uh sexual orientation maybe the lgbt community can show hey we're a little more open minded to uh hunting so
4: yeah you know yeah. i mean
0: it's a give and take like that. um but uh but hey I did want to ask you, actually I'll ask you that last, but uh, I know you wrote this article and you're more than willing to talk to people. So uh, if someone out there is struggling, you know, telling themselves every day that they aren't gay because they love to hunt and fish, or they love to play sports, suppressing who they really are, um, what's a good way to reach out to you, maybe for some advice? Um,
4: You know, I guess if, I'm not sure where this is going to end up, but they can you know, find me on Facebook. They can send me an email. Yeah. I'd be happy to list to my number.
0: Uh, you don't need to give um, your number on, but maybe just uh, spell your last name so they could find you on Facebook if they wanted to reach out. To yeah, you. Uh, it's Z is in zebra, O,
4: E, S is in Sam, C is in cat, H is in house.
0: Okay, all right on, man. Well, uh, last thing, Luke, bucket list hunt for you. If you could go hunt anything anywhere with your bow, uh, what would it be? Say, I would love to do.
4: Uh, like a Colorado elk hunt. My dad went on one and it, it was incredible. And that's, that's absolutely what I want to do.
0: Right on. All right, brother. Well, Hey, um, we certainly appreciate it. If people want to read the story, uh, that you wrote about yourself, they can find it on outdoorsports.com. That is that right. Uh, it's actually called outsports. outsports.com. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's what I think that's where I found it. And anyway, uh, thanks for coming on and, and telling your story, man. I think it's something that, uh, like I said, we just wanted to bring a little light to it, maybe make people think a little bit more, and uh, it's certainly been a treat visiting with you. Oh, thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. All right, there he goes, Wisconsin native and lifelong bow hunter Luke Zesch, and uh, and like I said earlier, I'm not trying to change your perspective or your view on you know how you feel about homosexuality. I'm just shedding light on the fact that there are folks out there who sometimes give up hunting and fishing and their love for the outdoors due to social stereotypes. And that is sad. Uh, so kudos to Luke for having the courage to uh, to come out and and get back in the woods because uh, uh, if that makes you happy, which <laughs> that's certainly what makes me happy, uh, then I can't imagine not doing that. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. You can find their entire lineup of thermal and night vision scopes by going to PulsarNV.com, and you'll save 20% off your entire order. That's right, any night vision or thermal optic that you want, you'll save 20% if you use the promo code Lone Star. That's Lone Star. and you can find their entire lineup right there at PulsarNV.com. Uh, man, just looking at the clock here, we got to go, got to get out of here. My least favorite part of every week is... We've got to say not goodbye, but so long. See you later. Until next weekend, uh, thanks to all of our guests today, Luke as well as uh, our old friend Clay Pope from Pope Brothers Guide Service and Outfitting, and also longtime striper guide uh, from Lake Texoma, our good buddy Jacob Orr of Limitless Outdoor Adventures. Uh, We'll do it again same time, same place next week. Long-range shooting is going to be front and center with uh, Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms. So you won't want to miss that. Uh, Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors.